Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 2011 film William and Kate, the movie. Um, This film isn't that great, so I don't think that you have to have seen it to enjoy the podcast. It probably helps if you have seen it, but otherwise, just enjoy us taking down a pretty rubbish film. Hello there. There we go. How are you? You alright? Yeah, I'm alright. How have you been since I spoke to you just yesterday? It's it's been it feels like it's been years. You know, I've been longing longing for our next recording. <laughs> it has. It's been a long twenty four hours. Yes. So long that I'm starting to hear your voice twice over. <laughs> oh, still. Oh no, it's all good now. It's all good. Hang now. on. Okay, cool. That's good. You're longing for the double Johnston. Everyone wants the double Johnston in their life. Yeah, you know, ev- everybody everybody wants the double Johnston chicken attack. Yeah, <laughs> the double Johnston chicken attack. I've I've forgot about that actually. My signature move. How could I forget? <laughs> but you know, my uh, my wrestling days are over. I know, I know. I'm too old for that shit. Oh, I see. Yeah, you've retired. <laughs> yeah, retired before it takes the best of your years. Isn't that a uh, Foo Fighters song? <laughs> Is someone taking the best, the best, the best, the best of your elbows? <laughs> Is someone chicken attack, attack, attack? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there are, I like the Foo Fighters, but their music could be improved on. And I think, yeah, the way to do it is to be singing about obscure wrestling moves. So get on it, Dave Grohl. What are you waiting for? Yeah, I agree. Have you, have you heard his their latest song, their new one? I have not. Have they got a new song? They do. It's very good. It's, it's a bit shouty, a bit rocky. Cool. I think they're at their best when they're shouty, actually, aren't they? Like yeah. The, if you look at their earlier stuff, like um, Stacked Actor and the bit on um, Monkey Wrench when he does the the big the big shout, that's that's a good that's a good Dave Grohl moment. Yeah, they're very good at, at the at sort of like because because they've got this kind of um, reputation for doing sort of like melodic sort of arena rock, but um, I always feel like their their best stuff is the more raw, angry side of things. Um, and often when you see them live, that those are the ones that really shine through as well. Like White Limo, for instance, sort of came out of yeah. nowhere with a very, very, very heavy sound, and that's a great song. It is indeed. So, um, how was your day at work? It was. It was another day at the exciting world of private banking. Um, yeah, it was. You know, <laughs> it was work. It was. Did you? Um, <laughs> do you? Do you listen to podcasts on the way to work? What do you? What do you do? What do you do on your? Yeah, commute? I. How do you entertain I do, yourself? I, or do you? Are you? Or are you mindful? Do you just let it all happen to you? No entertainment. You just take it all in. No, I think if that was my my journey to work, I'd I'd end up going insane in a very short amount of time. Now I listen to podcasts or I listen to music. Um, so today I was listening to a podcast called The Magnus Archives, 
which is like a sort of a horror podcast where it's these people going through these archives of paranormal events and reading out the extracts of it basically and it's yeah it's very is it one of those ones like you want this to become where it's like real or it seems like it's real but it's not or you can't really tell yeah it's kind of um it actually feels very similar to something that our good friend rob sherman would write um it's got that same kind of unnerving quality to it it's very very good um and sort of each episode there's sort of like hints towards a wider sort of story being told by this institute that's like taking records of all of these paranormal events but really each one is a standalone sort of mini horror story um and it's very very effective it's very well done um so that comes highly recommended and that that keeps me very entertained at the moment on the way to work well, I listened to a very interesting podcast on the way to work this morning. So a friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, tipped me off to a podcast called Research Flat Earth. I think when we were looking at looking for Flat Earth podcasts before, we didn't click on this one because it's got no album art. <laughs> you know, when you're you're like looking through things and you're like, oh, well, that's obviously like Twitter, like how if anyone's got the default avatar that looks like a butt plug, formerly the egg, Yeah. Um, then you know that they're just someone, you, it's not even worth giving them the time of day. Um, but yeah, he tipped me off to this one. It's called Research Flat Earth. And the um, the description reads, I traded a red paperclip for a house once and my mum still cuts my hair. And then in caps, Earth is flat and SpaceX launches blimps. <laughs> hashtag flat earth. <laughs> hashtag FEPE, which is spelled F-E-P-E. Hashtag globe exit. And there's a Globe Exit hotline that you can ring. So I'm going to suggest that on a future episode, we call the Globe Exit hotline live and um, record it. But I don't know how to hook up like to phone technology, like on the radio, as if I was like Ian Lee or someone. But yeah, that's th- <laughs> that's something we need to do in the future. That that sounds incredible. I really want to get involved with this. Yeah. But they're all just like five minute episodes where this guy, obviously, um, just whenever he has an idle moment on his phone, he just starts shouting into his phone and ranting at people. So I just listened to one that's called Dear Ball Earthers, What Are You Afraid Of? And it's it's it was incomprehensible nonsense. But this guy has a Twitter <laughs> account and he has twice as many followers as me. So I feel like that's kind of a bit of a travesty. Um, oh, wow. He's, he, and you've got a pretty you've got a pretty sizable um, Twitter Twitter follower. Uh, count as well don't you i'm over two thou which i feel like is is decent enough for someone who does a bunch of different things and i don't actively cultivate it i would say i don't go around following loads of people and i don't really care that much so I've, i've amassed that organically over a number of years and i feel like that's reasonable but yeah, this guy and his his flat earth lunacy. And the, if you go on hashtag globe exit, there's some really funny stuff there. But um, weird, the the funniest thing that like had me really like I laughed out loud when I read it on the train as I read one of his arguments with someone else. And it's um, his discourse is very similar to the alt right discourse where they they come up with their own language so that like calling people cucks and using Pepe and stuff. And it seems like the flat earthers have got their own version of this which is really funny. So one of them, I saw them call someone a hashtag globe cuck. But my <laughs> my favourite is um, curvert, which is <laughs> an insult for someone who believes that the earth is a ball round and that, and that is really like, unmoving in their beliefs. It's like it's a curvert. It's like implying that you get off in the, on the idea that the earth is that, round. That's amazing. It's really tickled me. I've, I've just had a... L- you absolute curvert. <laughs> I've just had a look at one. 
Um, I've just done a quick hashtag globe exit search. Um, and it's a picture of Stephen Hawking with loads of puppet strings going to him from an evil figure um, with a NASA symbol on his head. Um, and it says, a puppet show for adults. Hawking is dead. Long live Hawking. Read the new essay at Tip of the Beak. And yeah, this is... this Tip of yeah, the Beak. I'm, I'm going through to this now. Tip of the Beak. Um, <laughs> going down the down the rabbit hole. I I am I am. That sounds actually quite offensive, really, to be depicting Stephen Hawking in that way. It is very very offensive. Um, so they refer to themselves as penguins. Is that right? I've not heard that one before. But what do I know? I'm just a globe cuck. <laughs> we're all we're all globe cucks. Oh, they're claiming that he doesn't. They're claiming that he doesn't have ALS. Oh, okay. It's the latest Basically. offensive conspiracy theory. Right, okay. Yeah, so the conspiracy theory is that Stephen Hawking is some part of a huge NASA conspiracy theory to to tell us all that the Earth is 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 a sphere instead of flat, because, of course... I, mean, I was thinking about how you would argue with these people or try and make them see sense. And obviously you can't because they're mental and stupid. But I <laughs> think... <laughs> but I just think that, like, if you're... You genuinely think that there's a global conspiracy big enough that, you know, the whole world, every nation, world leaders, all of these kind of elite people are collaborating on a conspiracy when they can't even agree, like international trade standards or borders or immigration or things when things as stupid as brexit happen or things like trump's immigration policy happen surely if international cooperation was able to happen at the level that these people think it is to create conspiracy surely it could be done to create much better things and to make things better or to get us all a better life rather than just having a conspiracy it just makes no sense See, the the idea there behind it is that all of these things are all a ruse and there isn't really difficulties in negotiation. It's all just a set up to keep us all... And, and really, they all align with their ideals and they're just pretending that there's conflict. Yeah, it's all, yeah they're all just lying. That's the... Yeah, that, that, that's what it comes down to. Everyone is against them to to make us all believe that the earth is not flat. Yep, definitely. So that's your that's your flat Earth update for the week, people. As we're gradually transitioning from being a film cast towards a flat Earth podcast, I know that you're all still with us and that you think this is very important work that we're doing. So, so there it is. That's your flat Earth moment. Maybe we should have a jingle for the flat Earth update. <laughs> um, Something that uses only flat notes. Only, only be flat. <laughs> I'm going to write that for this. <laughs> it's gonna sound horrendous which perfectly sums up their entire philosophy i love it exactly but we are here to talk about films and it was my choice this week of a i'm going to use the word romantic loosely um the romantic film william and kate a royal romance i think that's the full title let me just get the wikipedia page up no sorry it's called william and kate the movie because um, as I worked out afterwards, William and Catherine, a royal, a royal romance, 
was produced the same year by the Hallmark Channel and released the same year, but looks like an even worse version <laughs> of this film. I think that was the one that was on YouTube with Swedish subtitles that I looked at and didn't recognise the actors. Oh, okay, yeah. Although, to be fair, I, I have seen William and Kate the movie before, but I had I couldn't I had such a hard time finding it again because it made like it left so the content of it and the characters left such a so little impression upon my brain that watching it for the second time was just like watching it for the first time, really. How did you find it? <laughs> oh, um, this is easily the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Um... <laughs> Twenty. Yeah, it gets it gets uh, twenty. I did come up with a very good rating mechanism for this film. Oh, did you? Um, but I will reveal that later on in the episode when it comes to the ratings. Okay, um, give me something to look forward to. Yeah, it's it, uh, this film is an abomination. Um, <laughs> if if this was you know if this was a book, I would be carrying out full Fahrenheit four five one on it right now. Um, it is oh god. this is something else entirely because it doesn't like i'm a big fan of bad movies but it doesn't even really hit those bad movie notes a lot of the time it kind of just is just perpetually subpar without really doing anything spectacularly awful yeah um and so it's just really bizarre to watch because it's kind of like it feels like you're in a fever dream like you're you you've literally got a fever you're lying in bed you can't move but the tv is on and this is on in the background and you're drifting in and out of consciousness that's what this movie feels like yeah it's the kind of film that would be on on like a channel like the hallmark channel when you're you're home sick off work and you're just lying there for the channel hopping and then it comes on and you're like oh i guess so guess i'll watch this for a bit yeah you can't muster up the strength to pick up the remote that's what this movie is so what are your bad movie notes then in terms of like a good a good bad movie or the things that push your buttons for a bad movie that this didn't hit well i think it it depends on the genre of movie within that bad movie so if it's like a bad action movie it requires someone's head exploding someone catching on fire yep Someone being eaten by some kind of animal, um, terrible one-liners, yeah, um, some awful love interest out of nowhere that doesn't really matter, and I think those are sort of like the five real pillars of a bad action movie. Yeah, for a bad romantic movie, I think you need like soft focus at least eighty-five percent of the time. Yeah, you need a very gratuitous soft course pornography scene. Um, with some definite butt groove action. Um, <laughs> you need a scene where some men and you need... throw a football around in an alley with tuxedos. <laughs> exactly. But you need to be the room. Um, yeah. No, and you need um, someone with incredibly feathered hair, ideally a male character with a moustache. <laughs> a Tom Selleck type. Yeah, you need you need a, 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 a off-brand Tom Selleck, an ersatz Tom Selleck. In your romantic yeah. movie. Yeah, and let's not the besmirch are... the good name of Tom Selleck. No, no. Tom Selleck is too good for these movies. Um, so that's what I really look for in a romantic movie. Um, and yeah, I didn't get that. There, was there any moustaches in this movie at all? 
As far as I can recall, not a single one, which is very disappointing. I think because this film was made by Americans, it's very much got an a, an idiot American's idea of the the ponziness of Britain that kind of runs throughout it. And I think they assume that Britons don't have mustaches or that the, the only person, the only British person who would have a mustache would be like a sort of old army major. Did, oh, did the guy, you know, there's one in the helicopter. He's in the helicopter with the like army sergeant guy. Did that guy have a mustache? Maybe. Oh, maybe. I'd, maybe he had a beard. Mm. I'm not sure. Maybe. But his performance was possibly the best performance of the film. He was he very was convincing very as an army person. Whoever yes. that guy is, um, well done you. Well, well done. Maybe he was a real army guy. And what, what? Another thing that was interesting about this to me, I think, was um, I'm not really a royalist, so I don't really follow. I try to ignore the royal family as much as I can because I do think that they're kind of a hilarious, outdated joke. Which, in fact, um, there was one scene in the film where he's talking about what the nation think of them. Um, I think they're lying in bed, um, and he he says, um, I I wrote it down because it was so good. I actually wrote down a lot of the really terrible lines. But he says something something like, um, "The whole nation thinks that we're, a, we're that we're an outdated anachronistic joke." And then something along the lines of, "I'm not sure we represent anything except an irrelevant attempt to hold on to a distant past," which is supposed to be him kind of putting himself down and because you're supposed to root for him you're supposed to be like oh no that's not true William it's okay but because it's such a god-awful film and you're not rooting for him at all you're like that's actually a kind of massively unintentional truth bomb about the royals that was kind of buried in there so maybe maybe that was the ultimate message (laughs) but um I didn't know whether most of the action or the characters or the people around them whether any of it was supposed to be true or based, it says inspired by true events, but I guess if I was more of a royalist, I'd have known whether the 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 stuff was was vaguely true or the characters were true or not. But as it was, I think it made it better that I was just looking at the whole thing as probably a kind of hilariously made up Amer- idiot Americans idea of of British pomp. Yeah, like I found it incredibly uneasy to watch because. It's like, I don't know. Um, it's it's weird because it kind of, over here in England, it's you get half the population uh, fascinated by the royal family and proper obsessed with them. And then I'd say another 25% really, really hate them. And then you've got kind of the 25% that kind of, think they're a bit funny and that it's kind of like a weird novelty but don't pay too much attention and like this movie really sort of feels uneasy if you're one of those people in the 25 percent who kind of thinks of them as like oh yeah they they're in this very strange situation because of the political climate of this country which is kind of unique um because this movie doesn't really it tries to portray them as people but by putting them into this incredibly like cliched romantic story it kind of just fetishizes the royal family in a very different way to what you normally see and it's just a very it's a very odd film because it's like it's making them out to be kind of like a sort of leonardo dicaprio teen heartthrob thing between the two of them 
and it's like that's not really how it happened and then when it touches on kind of like the truthful moments like how the how the tabloid press treated william and kate which was really really horrible they treated them like absolute shit um they kind of they have it as kind of like a cliche dramatic moment that's an up and down in their relationship rather than like an overarching point about the nature of the media in regards to people who are born into this celebrity higher higher status and yeah it's just a weird a weird weird movie yeah that thing with the press i wrote down as being the only thing that to me felt real and meaningful about the film at all was to have a film that actually not accurately but um in some way depicts the the absolute sort of gutter filth of the british tabloid press which is something that I probably Americans, and it's in- obviously intended for an American audience. We probably weren't even supposed to know that it was happening, but um, the, the 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 yeah, the, the just the really horrible nature of the tabloid press is actually depicted quite well in this film, and how they hound people and that kind of thing. I half expected it to kind of cut to him giving evidence at the Leveson inquiry at some point which I think would have made it a much more interesting film. So I did sort of, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but that did strike a chord with me because I do think that the tabloid press is a real, a real toilet. Yeah. And I I think that's something that maybe the, the Americans do see as like a kind of novelty in that, like they've got kind of like weird, creepy TV press over there. Yeah. Um, Infowars. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well yeah they got infowars the creepy fox ass news. creepy yeah. ass website meets yeah meets tv station they got fox news but then like their tabloid press gave up any semblance of being a real news source a very long time ago um so like all of their tabloid press are just gossip mags and they're just weird conspiracy mags they don't have any kind of idea about being a proper newspaper whereas over here pretty much all of our right-wing tabloids still pretend as though they're actually a source of news rather than just a source of hate and gossip. And so do the people that read them as well. And so do the people that read them, yeah. The Sun and the Mail have such huge readerships and they're they're peddling lies and hate and bollocks all the time. But yeah, the the American... If you look at something like the National Enquirer or whatever, for some reason my local newsagent sells the National Enquirer. Oh, really? Have you ever bought it? Sometimes I look past it. No, I've been tempted. I look at the cover and it'll be, it's always like, yeah, there'll be some Trump shit or some shit about Melania or Ivanka Trump. And then it'll have the kind of, the bit in the corner that's almost like those really tacky British mags that have the same ilk where it's like, I had sex with a ghost or whatever, you know, those kind of pink covered glossy mags. And the American tabloids sort of mesh those two worlds into a hilarious, strange existence. I think maybe when um, when I'm on my honeymoon in Hawaii, I'm going to buy it every day and read it cover to cover every day and see if I come back with like none of my brain left. <laughs> You're going to come back like Alex Jones from Infowars. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to start a YouTube channel. <laughs> but because like, yeah, because like, what's funny is that like you look at the the online posts from like the Daily Mail. And the Daily Mail Online is basically the National Enquirer. They have no attempt at making anything political. It's just a load of shite that they've pulled from fabricated sources or dodgy sources from Russia to try and get in as many page clicks as possible in the same way that the National Enquirer just picks up some wacko who believes in aliens and says, aliens seen above New York Mets Stadium, that kind of shit. Um, Yet sort of like the, the press paper over here still believes like we're a real news source 
We might show tits on page three, but we've got some really important stuff to tell you about how the people who are in the Grenfell Tower are pieces of shit. Yeah, how they don't deserve to be rehoused and how immigrants started the fire and they're coming to set fire to you and take your job. Yeah. Serious enlightening stuff. Um, but yeah, so I found that I found that very weird and it's quite interesting seeing that from an outside perspective such as this, even though it's an absolute piece of trash movie, that it still managed to pick on, up on the fact that, hey, the press in the UK is pretty horrible. Which I think is an indictment of the British press and its horribleness and it being known for that around the world rather than the screenwriter's savviness or research, because yeah, I don't think yeah. they really did that much research. <laughs> Um, there's a bit, uh, there's a bit early on in the film where Wills is talking to his mates, uh, his new mates at university, and he's saying that um, when he's saying when I when I meet someone for the first time, I usually tell them a lie, and then if it gets into the press later on, I'll know that it was them who leaked it because it's a lie. Which you know that is like that is a Chekhov's gun waiting to be fired, and it's never fired. Like I was waiting the whole film. For there to be like a whole plotline revolving around someone leaking a lie to the press, but it never came. Oh, it was so irritating. Yeah, I was really waiting for that. I was waiting for the real douchebag friend to be the one who was leaking it to the press. The one who is like a posh caricature of Jay from the Inbetweeners. <laughs> yes, exactly. The one who tells him weirdly in a sort of slightly creepy way in a bar later on that he's at his sexual peak. <laughs> That was an incredible scene. Yeah, so so he's been with Kate for some time at this point, um, but he's doing his military training and he's out in a bar with his old friend from Eton and uh, he's sort of at the bar saying like, oh, I miss Kate, I'm looking forward to seeing her. And then his Eton friend is like, but what if you, you know, made the most of your time here because, you know, you're at your sexual peak. You've got to make the most of it. Yeah, and, and Will's just, just sort of yeah, goes, it's, oh, all right then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a good idea. And then the next sit, the next scene is basically like uh, Kate sitting at home, looking unhappy, reading about how Will went away with his five male friends on a boat that was entirely filled with female crew. Yeah, and she's fluffing up the cushions. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's an odd movie. It, there's a lot to decompress after watching it. It is, yeah, it is. Let's see what what else what else did I write down? The guy who plays Prince Charles, I thought, was actually not an inaccurate portrayal of Prince Charles, if only in terms of his demeanor and his mannerisms compared to the rest of the film, where no one was anything like any of the real life people. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, he he doesn't look anything like Prince Charles, but the way that he sort of moves and portrays himself is vaguely like it. Um, and yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like one thing that i found very odd about this movie is how they made william look so much more handsome than he is in real life yeah although as as i said before and i i hate to mention this douchebag's name but um adam said in the first scene when we watched it together that he looked like milo yiannopoulos and then i couldn't get it out of my head See, I don't think he I don't think he does. He looks like the photo of Milo Yiannopoulos that he puts up online that's been heavily photoshopped. But if you've ever just seen a regular picture of Milo, he he looks like 
um, that one guy left at an indie club night who's puked up over himself and has had way too much to drink. <laughs> that, that's yeah, what he looks got, like. Like in inadvertent life. jowls. Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of stumbling around. Come on, man. Play another block party song. Yeah. yeah, come on. Play block party. You bell end. Yeah. Well, Radiohead, man. Come on. Give us some Radiohead. I need some Radiohead to see out the night. We need to get rid of the posers, he says. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. Maybe we're being unkind to this guy, who apparently is from New Zealand. So considering that, I think his accent wasn't too bad. He's a very handsome man, whereas Milo Yiannopoulos is actually a very ugly person, both inside and out. He's ugly in every conceivable way, yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, I think I think the guy who plays, you know plays him as a bit of a dreamboat it's a very attractive cast yeah, he's, he's not it's a unattractive. very attractive cast in general i think they picked a lot of physically appealing people to 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 try it and, is actually yeah to try and cut through the shit that was the script and i felt like yeah they picked people mostly on looks and not very much on merit although weirdly the one girl who's like her kate's best friend or whatever looks a thousand times more like the real-life Kate Middleton than the actress who plays Kate Middleton yeah. does. And not that it's all about being a lookalike, but I definitely thought that. And I was like, her performance was almost better as well compared to the woodenness of the woman who was playing Kate Middleton. Although, to be fair, probably down to the, more down to the script than her. But yeah, I felt like maybe the other friend should have been playing Kate and it should have been the other way around. But who knows? See, see I thought that as well. I thought she looked very much like Kate Middleton. Um, the person who plays her best friend. Um, but it's funny because the person, and you pointed this out to me, the person who plays Kate in this um, is an actress called Camilla Luddington, who now voices Lara Croft in the Tomb Raider games. And she puts in a really good performance as a voice actress um, in, in Tomb Raider and in the sequel. I'm not sure if she's going to be Tomb Raider in the third one or not, but she, she's really good in those games. Um, but I... I I imagine that it's, you know, something to do with the fact that the script of this film is so dire that you could you could give it to anybody and it would still be bad. Much like I don't know if you've seen the Star Wars prequels at all. Oh, the Phantom Menace, the Clone Wars, you mean? Yeah, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah. One. Cuz like in I've Attack seen of them the too Clones, many times. They, they well, you know what I mean then. They've got Natalie Portman, they've got Ewan McGregor and like they're having to deal with one of the worst scripts that a big budget movie has ever had. And even they can't turn something good out of it. And like, I know that the the cast of this movie is not in the same league as them, but you've got to feel for them trying to do something with what's been put in front of them. Yeah. And I felt like she, she was, a, she did okay. And based on how well she's done Tomb Raider, from what I hear from you and Adam, I haven't played it, so I wouldn't know. But I feel like if anyone deserves to kind of cut through that and, you know, go on to better things, it's definitely her. Because, um, you know, she had a lot of screen time in this and it was obviously a lot of effort. But it's kind of, it's it's the Nicolas Cage problem, isn't it? That you're never quite sure whether they're a terrible actor or they're just every film that they're in is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Nicolas Cage is like... Um... Uh, a weapon that can only be used in very specific circumstances in that when you get him into the right role he is bang on perfect for it but unless he's in that right role then he's terrible um so you put him in something like lord of war for instance 
um, or bad lieutenant, where you allow him to basically go off and chew the scenery in the best possible way, um, and it works perfectly. But I haven't seen either just of those. A bog standard. Oh, Lord of War is really, really good. It's all about arms dealers, basically, and he's fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, and Bad Lieutenant is this absolutely bonkers Werner Herzog directed kind of like crime comedy and it's all over oh, the place cool. but it suits it suits the fact that Nicolas Cage is in it perfectly because it's exactly the kind of thing that he's at his best at. Um I've got I've got time for Werner Herzog even for his wackier stuff. Yeah, I like how um I've forgotten which film it is but it's the one about the the madman who builds a boat and makes people carry it through the uh uh um through the jungle um and it's all a true story about this bonkers person who did it but then Werner Herzog made them do it in real life to film the movie because he wanted it to <laughs> be authentic <laughs> because he's That's Werner Herzog yeah I still need to watch um Stolen which is that one they talk about on the flop house which is like the best film podcaster on the trailer the guy says Nicholas Cage <laughs> It just that gets me every time. Nicholas you know Cage. If, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you guys don't listen to the flop flop house, it is like the best film podcast there is, apart from this one, obviously. But yeah, I highly recommend it. So, so going back to um, to William and Kate the movie, um. There was a few other things. I did actually make notes about this because I realised that my brain oh, was going to fall to pieces. About, about <laughs> one minute in, I realised I need to write stuff down because otherwise I'm never going to remember anything about this film. Yeah. Um, and so another thing I pointed out is that, like, everybody looks more attractive, apart from maybe Kate Middleton, they've chosen someone who is also attractive, Um Apart from Prince Harry, they've chosen this really weedy-looking bloke to play Prince Harry in the one scene that he's in. Yeah, he's a proper like, Ron ha- Weasley. And like, yeah, and Prince Harry's always been a bit of a sort of like. As soon as he turned like sixteen, seventeen, he's always been a bit sort of like he's been the more sort of like laddie, sportsy one than Prince William. And it's just really odd seeing him played by this tiny little like school kid who's basically being like i want to be like you when i grow up william yeah who had a really terrible accent as well that was like american yeah. and then seemed geordie <laughs> american geordie yeah but yeah he was he was a terrible performance from that teenage lad but again i hope he goes on to better things but that was the only there was only one harry scene wasn't there i think they decided they sort of obviously shot that scene with <laughs> that kid and then thought it's not gonna work let's not do any more but they do allow a relatively good amount of Prince Charles screen time because that guy was obviously good and it probably a bit more expensive as a sort of elder statesman of low budget films. And um, he gets the emotional dad speech. He he was one of the characters in um, Chariots of Fire, you see. So he does have a little bit of... Um, that guy was acting. in Chariots of Fire? He was in Chariots of Fire, yeah. No way. Yeah, ben, his name is Ben Cross. Wow, um, and he's one of the people in Chariots of Fire. Um, and yeah, so he's got he's got a bit of a he's got a bit of a um, acting pedigree to him. And he's been in he's been in quite a lot of bits here and there. I've never seen Chariots of Fire. It's good. It's yeah, not necessarily 
obviously i know the yeah, music. not necessarily a movie you need to see more than once but it's it's worth watching i think yeah it looks incredibly boring but i'm sure it couldn't be as boring as william and kate the movie <laughs> that's true although i i think i was more engaged in this film than i was in the bridges of madison county oh really yeah mainly i think because... the bridges of madison county was so slow I think it's just really lumpen and you couldn't say that William and Kate the movie is lumpen because every scene has a new bit of kind of terrible American trying to do British intrigue that it's yeah it's more like watching a slow car crash than just watching paint dry I guess. Yeah it it, it moves all over the place at the very least it like every two minutes you're in a new location they very rarely go back to a location after they've been there once before um which which again helps Every two minutes you're in a location that is clearly L.A. made to look like the U.K. There's one amazing (laughs) scene where she's walking along. I don't know if you noticed, but um, she's walking along like supposed to be a London scene and it obviously looks really L.A.-ish, but the camera turns around to face her and a red bus goes past. So you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's London. And then in the background behind it, you can see like American street signs and you know those like um those traffic light things that they have where it hangs over the middle of the road like you can see one of those and it's like obviously <laughs> the middle of LA and they just put a red bus in it's just amazing the 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 lengths they went to for this movie um and and one of the other things that i found great about this is that they basically took this story of two real people um and a story that only really happened a few years ago if you think about it um and then they basically just decided they were going to turn it into a bog standard rom-com plot so for all of their based on a true story stuff like i did a quick search at the time and had a look at how many of these characters were real people and not many of them were real um, and that's clearly because they needed to fit it into this really, really um, tight framework for a rom-com. So it basically, there's bits of it that sort of feel like like uh, Bridget Jones or like Notting Hill, particularly where you see that um, that Kate Middleton has got this group of friends around her that basically is just the archetypal friendship group from a romantic comedy. And they all sort of like fill those roles. So they've got the guy, the 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 friend who's not very good at romance, and like the 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 best friend who's very sympathetic. Um, all they needed really was like some sort of ethnic minority in there just to be a token, and it would have just been like the perfect, like shitty rom com friendship group. Just shoehorned in. Yeah, just shoehorned in. Whereas in fact, everyone was white. Apart from that one scene where he's having like an Africa-themed birthday party, and it's clearly in very poor taste. Yes, I mean, I mean, the one thing that really set that out from what it would be in real life with these kind of rich people is like both Paddy and I went to Exeter University. We've seen a lot of people in blackface there, like so. There definitely uh, yes, would have been there did, definitely yeah. would have been someone who turned up in blackface, and about half the people there would have laughed at it and gone, "Ho ho, banter." Yeah, it's just banter, mate. It's banter. Like, if you can't take it, it's your fault. It's it's funny because I remember um, when we were at university, Emma Thompson, whose adopted son went to Exeter Uni, um, she made some comments about how he didn't necessarily feel particularly comfortable at Exeter um, because of sort of like feelings of 
inherent racism around and i remember a lot of people i knew getting very angry about the fact that emma thompson had said that and being like oh exeter's not like that at all but literally two years previously they'd done an event where loads of people had turned up in blackface and it's like um and there yeah. were no repercussions for and that there were no repercussions person. for anybody yeah. and it's just like can you not see what's going on just because you've got loyalty to a place that you went to school at it was just mind-boggling i thought yeah and that yeah, that that element of the Wills and Kate story was quite badly done as well. It's a really great bit quite early on in their relationship. And first, um, it's like one of their very early scenes where they're like in a dorm room. She's in his dorm room and looking at his walls and stuff. And it turns out that they went to the same place on their gap yard. And one of them says, <laughs> um, one of them says, oh, the kids were fantastic, weren't they? And oh no, she says it. She goes, the kids were fantastic, weren't they? And he goes, I know, right? And then that's the end of the scene. And it makes it sound like they ate the kids. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It's as if they were discussing a meal. It's um, it, it, it all ties into David Icke's theory that the royal family are reptilians. They did eat these children. Oh, my God. So was Kate Middleton already a reptilian? Because she, she's not, not a royal at that time. As they go to great pains to tell us throughout the film... She's not a royal. She's of common stock. He'll never marry a royal. He'll never marry somebody who's not a royal. Sorry. So was she a lizard before then anyway? Or did she become one through the process, do you think? I think maybe the real Kate um, got eaten by... You know there's that scene where she learns how to become a lady. Um, yeah. There's a, I'll, a I'll... lady posh training montage. I think maybe the posh training montage, as part of that, they killed the real Kate and then brought in the fake one who was a reptilian wearing Kate's skin. Nice. That would make and sense. So, and so when Otherwise she first you met... her. So oh, at that point, when she met Will and she said, oh, yes, I did my gap year and it was lovely and all the kids are wonderful, she does mean it genuinely that the kids were lovely. Um, he means that he ate them. So he came along afterwards and saw all the children that she'd helped, you know develop and being like oh yes they're now developed enough for me to eat without getting the bones stuck in my reptilian teeth <laughs> and she was none the wiser at that and point. she was none the wiser and then you know she then got replaced by the reptile um but that that scene in particular i found very very horrible um because it's a, it's played for laughs really that she goes to this um this uh this posh training lady to teach her how to be a lady um, and it's all very sort of funny where she's like, we're in the 21st century now. And then the lady, the, the training lady turns around and goes, oh, yes, maybe in your world, but not in his and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but Which, like, again, I thought was actually an insightful look at kind of the, the outdated nature of the royals. But then it was kind of normalizing that and making it OK. Yeah. And it's that normalization that I found really jarring because the, in the scene literally before that, it's her being devastated about the fact that the press is trying to take um, upskirt photos of her and her not understanding why they're being so horrible to her and why they're dehumanising her. And then, like, the movie's reaction to this person is being treated so awfully is, well, you need to learn to adapt and just deal with it. And, hey, here's a hilarious training montage. There you go. You're in. Done. Yeah, exactly. It's very much that's it's like the banter question, isn't it? It's like the jokes on you or it's your problem if you don't get the joke. You know, if you can't deal with the press, then you're yeah, then the problem is with you. And again, it built up the press thing to be a really big thing. 
and then it just seemed to completely disappear. There was no kind of attempt to, you know, with the the general rules of writing and stuff. Is you know, if you if you create a gun, as we said, the Chekhov's gun, if something appears and becomes a problem, you have to show them overcoming that problem. Otherwise, it's unsatisfactory. You need to tie things up. That's why you have the the, the problem of people often trying to tie up too many loose ends at the end of the plot. But this film wasn't bothered about any of that. It was like, <laughs> here's a huge plot point about the press. Oh, no, we're, move, we're moving on now. Wills is back. It's all good. But in, in that way, sure... In that way, surely it's it's working even better as a biopic because in real life you don't get a resolution to every issue that you have. That's true. Yeah, it was about as as boring as I imagine their life is in real life day to day. So, so maybe th- maybe this is a true to life telling, and we're we're not doing it enough justice. <laughs> Incredibly accurate and hard hitting biopic, William and Kate the movie. Yeah, exactly. The the one thing that I really wanted out of it is if you're gonna if you're gonna give us a a really shite rom com plot about these real people's lives, at least like throw in a fight scene. Like I want the press to be harassing Kate, and then Kate's dad to come out and punch a paparazzo in the face. <laughs> yeah, or Will's to have like some kind of Bruce Lee karate type fight with with a with some kind of horrible press guy. Yeah, yeah it would be great. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Um, you've ever seen the movie Nightcrawler? No. It is a phenomenal film about the nature of um, the press and the nature of freelance press in America. Um, it's got Jake G- uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in it, um, who decides he's going to become one of those people who takes photographs and videos of crime scenes and accidents for TV stations to show in their early morning news. Um, and it's yeah, it's all about the lengths that he's willing to go to to get that first scoop, and how far he's willing to go beyond the bounds of morality to do it. And it's a great movie. And and like during those scenes where that where the press were harassing her and hounding her and hounding him, I was just thinking like, I wonder how many of the press in these scenes are like Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. Um, and it's, it, it's it would possible. Be really, yeah, the it would two be universes really cool cross to, over. Yeah, to splice these two films together. They show uh, show that show just the horrible things that these paparazzi are willing to do to get that scoop. I have a lot of time for Jake Gyllenhaal and for Maggie Gyllenhaal as well. I think they're both fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is an incredibly underrated actor. Um, yeah, I think he's he's a phenomenal actor. He's he's a really really solid performer, um, and he doesn't get enough credit credit. Definitely, yeah. People just go, "Oh, Donnie Darko and Brokeback Mountain." It's like, well, actually, no. There's a lot more to him than that. And even then, his performances in those two uh, movies are great. Brokeback Mountain is yeah. a genuinely great movie. Yeah, like really, really good. We should talk about that at some point. Yes, yeah, that would that would be good, actually. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it has f- far too many good qualities to be put in consideration next to William and Kate. No, we should, um, we should not be mentioning those two of, films in the same breath. No, no, that is... E- even saying how much better... Brokeback Mountain is than this film is still besmirching the name of Brokeback Mountain for it even being mentioned in the same sentence. Um, yes. So, like, I, I Sorry, just wanted Annie to point Pro. out a few, a few really, really odd scenes in this film. Yeah, I'll I see if I if I picked up on the same ones. So, it like I said before, it sometimes chucks in these weird sort of rom com moments. So, there's the bit where they're doing like a fashion show. 
And that's the first time that Wills decides that he's attracted to Kate Middleton because she comes down in this fashion show walking sultry and takes off her coat to reveal a really skimpy outfit. And then she continues doing her little fashion show parade. That I did know was a true story. Is that really a true story? Yeah, yeah, that was that was what apparently that is a that is like a famous story about how they got together was that and she he he yeah, he fell in love with her when she showed her pants at the fashion party. Dear God, that's horrendous. Yeah. I didn't think Not he such had a wholesome prince, is he? No, no. That that's more of a Prince Harry thing, I'd have thought. <laughs> Old yeah. Hazard. Um Hazard. But yeah, I just thought that was a really creepy scene. So knowing that that's that is real is Oh, oh, I feel really unclean now after knowing that. Makes you feel proud to be British, doesn't it? <laughs> that's, when, that's when I fell in love with you, though, Paddy. That's when you did your fashion show. <laughs> when I showed, showed my pants, pants at the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then they're, they're all sitting at the table going, oh, she's hot. When did she get hot? She's hot. When, when did she's she hot. get hot? <laughs> um, yeah, and I then mean, he tries to it, kiss the... her at the bar. Yeah, and she rejects him. Yeah. Which, you know, you would do because he's a creepy drunk guy at the bar. And because she has a boyfriend at the time who seems like quite a reasonable guy. He's kind of always there hanging around. And then at one point, I can't remember the context, but he says, maybe Wills is going to give us a royal moon. And that, really, that made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> and I thought, do Americans yeah. actually know what that mean? Do Americans call it a moon when you... Get your ass out. Do Americans moon I think, people? I, th- I suppose I they I think do. they must do because, yeah, th- this is a movie written by Americans, I imagine, at least very much for Americans. So that that joke would not be a highbrow, highbrow enough thing to sneak through. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's funny because he's kind of, he's played like a sort of anti-royalist, the boyfriend. Um, but he's not, doesn't necessarily seem like that bad a guy. He just he he goes off to London, doesn't he, or Oxford or something like that, rather than rather than Scotland. He so was like he's up. about to graduate. He's two years older than her. He's going to Oxford, trying to convince her to transfer. She won't transfer. That's it. He's conveniently out of the picture, so then her and Wills can have a little cheeky kiss in the rain. They do have a cheeky kiss in the rain, um, and then they have their ups and downs. So they go to a party together. Apart from they're not really together because he's got to be Prince William instead of cheeky drunk kiss William. Um, and so she gets very unhappy about the fact that he's not giving her any sort of attention. Um, and you'd have thought that if you were a prince who'd been a prince for a very long time, you'd know to actually prepare her for it in advance. Um and say like, look, I won't be able to speak to you at this event. I want you to be there because I I want you to see this kind of side of me and know what to expect from our relationship going forward. Um, and also, I'd like you to be there as a kind of support, even though we can't talk to each other. It's still important that you're a part of my life. But instead, he seems to have just invited her along and gone, yes, come to this party I'm having. And then not explain that he's not going to speak to her at all throughout the evening. And so um, the evil bitch friend who is possibly my favourite character in the whole movie. The mean girl. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way. The mean girl in the movie, who basically, her only role is to turn around to Kate Middleton and go, you're not of good enough stock for our Prince William. He's and never going to marry you because you're does. not royal. He's never going to marry you. And and yes, yeah, she she's great in this film. 
like it's just like a cartoon character and it's wonderful um and yeah and so she says this to her at the party and then kate runs off with the two friends and they're all like no we're, we're done with this life um but then they get invited out yeah. skiing she says to kate oh your your mum does this and your dad does this and i felt like it was almost as if the screenwriter dropped that in just to show that they'd done a bit of research about kate middleton's parents and what they do and not for any other reason it's like your mum's an air hostess and she's like and what <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one of the friends, isn't it one of the friends that she goes, isn't your mother an air hostess? And then uh, turns to the, to the, um, to Kate and it's like, don't your, don't your parents just own like a, a shipping company or something like that? A party, a party planning, planning business. business. Um, it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, what a, what a difficult, difficult, difficult situation. Um, and so, she, so they storm off, they're very unhappy and then, William just invites them all to go skiing and so they do yeah um, skiing makes it all okay skiing... but not until the she's seen the bitch back in the um, back at Durham after the, oh, St Andrews sorry after they've um, after it's official that her and Wills are together uh, oh no that's yeah, after that isn't yeah. it because the, the big reveal happens on the ski trip yeah which is actually there's quite again I think a relatively accurate portrayal of Prince Charles where he's just sort of stood there mumbling to the press while Kate and Wills are kissing and they're all taking photos and he's just standing there and they go are you happy Prince Charles and he goes yes I suppose I'm happy <laughs> I actually like really enjoyed that that scene's portrayal of Prince Charles it's, yeah it's, it's as a man who um you know, talks to his plants and stuff. And there's actually, they make, when they're around the dinner table, they also make a joke about him naming his chickens, which is actually, again, relatively insightful about Prince Charles and his slight eccentric nature and love of his farm animals and plants. It's funny because they make him out to be a very sympathetic character, whereas, like, in the general British public, I think he's now seen almost as a villain because the royalists lot really, really want William to be king next. They want a handsome young king and Prince Charles is just kind of in the way. Whereas he's actually quite like, I don't know, he he cares a lot about the environment. He does very oddball things like writing about how nanotechnology is going to kill us all. Um, he's, quite an, <laughs> yeah. he's quite an interesting sort of interesting yet relatively harmless and kind of endearing person, I find, Prince Charles. Yeah, he's um, been shown to be illegally lobbying Parliament on the sly. You know, yes, <laughs> like like all good figurehead leaders. Yeah, but if I had to choose a favourite lizard person, it would definitely be him. Yeah, yeah. If you had to choose one one reptilian to eat your children, it would be Prince Charles, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's relatively benign, as yeah. the royals go. Like a tumour. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so there's the big reveal. And then she sees the bitch girl back at St. Andrews and she's trying to be all nice to her. And Kate's having none of it. But she again, she doesn't take the opportunity to be super mean and bitchy back. She just kind of brushes it off, which yeah, I guess and, is fair and, enough. And again, in that scene, you want there to be a big slap, you know, like, screw you, horse slap. Yeah. But again, yeah, that it never goes anywhere from there. And again, this whole, oh, he'll never marry you because you're not royal thing seems like it's going to be a big thing and then it isn't you know it's full of a lot of like mini jeopardies that don't really go anywhere and don't really add up to anything they don't make it the sum the sum of the parts does not create a whole yeah and it, it never it 
it, it it's desperately trying to sort of put a real plot over events where there wasn't really a plot and it fails spectacularly yeah like you want there to be a kind of like like you want there to be a kind of like mean girls situation um you you want uh you want the evil girl to be like um to be like the mean girls from that movie but it never really materializes it just kind of peters out and the entire movie kind of peters out like in spite of like like there's that spectacular scene on the skiing trip where where he sings a song at karaoke for her and it's like oh my god yeah I'd completely forgotten about that scene and it really took me by surprise. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. Oh God, I remember this. Now I'm having nightmarish flashbacks to it. <laughs> but it's like, um, you know you know that scene in um, I'm Alan Partridge where it's Valentine's Day <laughs> yeah. and he's he has that date with the woman who plays Marsha off the yeah, space yeah. and they're like in the cafeteria and he insists on going up and trying to sing... Um, why do birds suddenly appear? And it's like it's in the wrong key, and he's going, "No, it's too high, it's too high." <laughs> this like this scene in this film was even more Alan Partridge than Alan Partridge. It out Partridge Partridge. <laughs> I thought. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. It's really really. It completely comes out of nowhere. There's no preamble. Just suddenly they've done a bit of skiing, and then. They're in the like ski- suddenly just cuts to the ski lodge bar and he's just up there singing on this random stage in the corner of the bar and there's no band or PA or anything or any indication that it's like a karaoke night. He's just got a mic because he's a prince and why not? And he starts singing this song and what the fuck even is the song? I did not recognise it at all. No, I d- I didn't recognise it either. Um, but what one one thing that that scene was missing was he's got these two bodyguards that follow him around the entire movie that he basically they're there to be a joke and they really missed a trick here by having the two bodyguards not jump in and start doing backing vocals. <sighs> yeah, they or could harmonies. have had like a boys to men harmony thing. And instead, going he's on. just doing it on his own. Yeah, exactly. But they didn't. And so, like, there's other scenes in the movie where at the beginning uh, he's he's telling Kate Middleton, "Oh, they've got to follow me everywhere." And it's like, "Oh, but how fast can they run?" And they sprint off. And then the two two poor security guards, whose entire job is just to make sure that Prince William doesn't get shot by some crazy person, then have to go sprinting after him because he's playing a prank on them. And then later on, at the end of the movie, before he does the big "I love you" and they all get back together. Um, he's about to dive into the into the river to go and see Kate because she's on a rowing boat, um, and uh, and they start taking <laughs> off their clothes as well as they realise that he might yeah. jump into the river. It's just like these poor these poor bodyguards. I'd almost like to see a a, a sort of a side movie, a, a kind of spin off that just focused yep. on the two bodyguards and their relationship. Oh, man, the, yeah, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of this film. You could do that with a lot of the characters, actually, yeah. But the, I felt like the, the humour of the bodyguards was something that was the closest this film came to having anything that was genuinely funny, like the how fast can they run moment. That was a bit of light-hearted humour that would not have been out of place in a genuinely good rom-com, you know, something that might star Julia Stiles. Yeah, it's... it's um... What's it called? There's a movie with Katie Holmes where she's the daughter of the president. It might even be called The President's Daughter. Um, I don't know. Let's have a look. I'm going to randomly search for The President's Daughter and hope that it is the actual movie. <laughs> Mate, you're going to get a lot of Ivanka Trump because she's been causing a ruckus at the G20. It's called First Daughter. Um, okay. So in that... 
um katie holmes is the daughter of the president played by michael keaton um and oh, wow. uh he and she starts falling for um this this student at the university that she's at but unbeknownst to her he's actually a secret service agent who's there to protect her and his whole role is just to be there um and again that that that's kind of it kind of follows the same kind of plot here where you've got sort of like a a a, a, a royal celebrity type person who's then dealing with all of the pressures and the press focus that comes of being someone who's kind of not responsible for the position they're in, but having to deal with it. And yeah. Um, I said Julia Stiles because I thought of The Prince and Me. Have you ever seen that? I've not seen that, no. She's a, she's like a college student and falls in love with a fellow college student and it turns out he's the king of Denmark and then she has to go and like be a princess in Denmark. It's actually not a bad film. Um, I'll add that to oh, the right. list okay. as a future future royal chat discussion. But yeah, there's two films that do the basic idea of this much better. If you're looking for something along those lines, and and there's 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 lots of movies that do that that financial barrier between two people being together. So there's Chalet Girl, for instance, which is great. I don't know if you've ever seen Chalet we should, Girl. We should talk about that. I have a lot a lot of thoughts about Chalet Girl. I- uh, I, I was speaking to somebody at work about it today, and they suggested that we make it like a Christmas episode because it's all snowy. So we yeah, have a good I guess episode that would be yeah d- throughout December because we're going to do our Christmas twenty four special, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's a good idea. And and yeah, what was the other one I thought of? There was another one. Oh, um, the the one where Jennifer Jennifer Lopez is a maid. Or oh, made in Manhattan. Made in Manhattan as well is another thing where it's all about this these financial barriers, these class barriers that are stopping people from being together. Is that McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey in that one? No, isn't it Ray Fiennes? Oh, so it is, yeah. He's like a senator, yeah. And and you're like, but he's either, looking back at it, he's, he's either a serial killer, a Nazi, or Voldemort. Is he really who you want to be the lead in your romantic <laughs> comedy? Yeah, definitely. Or... A poncy man in a purple coat from the Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> Get your hands off my lobby, boy! <laughs> I love that. It's uh, I, one of my favourite movies of all time. It's brilliant. Um, so there are some films that do <laughs> William and Kate much better. Um, but yeah, it sort of it lumbers on to its conclusion, and then. They kind of they get back together. There's an emotional dad chat with Prince Charles. He goes to, to and he's like, I have to speak to you now. And he's standing on the deck and it feels like she's rowing. And he's like, I have to speak to you now. And it feels really half-hearted. He's just standing on the jetty going, no, right, right now. I can't wait an hour. And then she's just kind of, she's like, in the, the ridiculousness of it, she just kind of looks at him and she's like, what? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and um, he's he starts taking his clothes off. And then, but no, of course, because she has to get all wet and sexy. She's the one, obviously, that jumps in the water and comes up to him. And then there's some, there's a couple of, like, bullshit lines. And then they kiss. And then the next scene is the final scene. And it's the proposal. Um, and they're in Africa. Although it's obviously just, like, L.A. with a green screen. And there's some tent full of African tat or whatever, like literally full of like ivory and <laughs> elephant statues or whatever other offensive bullshit idea of Africa you can think of. And then it's just like, and that scene is completely silent and it genuinely feels as if at that point the screenwriters just gave up. 
they were like, I cannot be fucked with this anymore. Or they had, they were out of ideas or they, they knew that they couldn't think of any, like any way to put words in his mouth that would have been good. So like, let's just have a silent him going down on one knee. That's it. Yeah. Job done. Let's get out of here. It felt really kind of like they just gave up and decided to finish it there. They, they were leaving space for the sequel given the huge success, both critical and commercial, that William and Kate, the movie, was going to receive. Yeah. The, the one thing that I really I really found interesting about this movie was that it would have worked better as two movies rather than one. Ugh. Um, so, I'm and having I know nightmares that that, that's just about just, the prospects. That's just asking for trouble, really. But if you think about it, it's really two stories here. So the first story is them falling in love and initially getting together in spite of the fact that he is a royal. And so you've got that. So you've got the arc of them meeting, the difficulties with the fact that she's got a boyfriend, the boyfriend leaves. Then there's the tensions as they feel like they're getting to know each other, but will they, won't they? And then they get together and it's all lovely. Then the second movie is the pressures of this secret romance with someone who isn't used to the royal lifestyle. And that's where all the pressures come in about, should I be a lady? Should he be expecting me to become a lady? And that's where all of those troubles could come in. So really, it would have worked better as two films rather than one. Yeah. no. So that's my that's my main... T- by that logic, I think, yeah, that's that makes, I think, the same point that I was trying to get at by saying that there's lots of small jeopardies that never quite add up to anything. It's like usually in a film you have a couple of big major problems people have to overcome and then they go deep on a few of those problems and if the characterization is really good those problems give you a sense of the characters and that kind of thing. And there, like you said, there are so many bits in this film where if you'd gone deep on it you could have actually had a really good film even like, or like at least a really good story even though I have no interest in the royals there are still ways that you could have done it that would have been really, really interesting and could have gone deep on the characters but... It just skimmed the surface of so many things. And I think that's a tr- obviously a trap that formulaic and generic, bad, low-budget romantic films go on to, is that there are so many tropes and cliches that you can easily like fall back on and just skim the surface of that you feel like you don't have to go deep on anything, but you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's It's, yeah. So it feels like... I wouldn't say it feels like a missed opportunity because there's no reason why this movie should exist except to take money out of Americans desperate for some kind of sense of royal family. Um, but it does feel like there could have they could have made something good out of this, but they missed the mark by miles. Um, there was one final thing that I wanted to bring up, which was um, Princess Diana and the relation to this movie. So going into this film, I thought... Oh, yeah. You know what? They, they had... They- through the Diana yeah, thing I made in there a, I as made much a, as they a could. tally of how many times Princess Diana came up in this film. And um, she became a major topic of conversation five times over the runtime of this movie. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Um, that even Diana can't even get peace in a movie about her son's romance. Um, it's, it's really, God, really creepy. Yeah. I mean, I bet if they, if either of the, if Wills has seen this in real life, he's probably found it very offensive, especially the scene that's supposed to be the emotional dad speech, which is establishing itself, I think, as like a romantic comedy trope and pop plot point, because it was in She's All That, it was in 10 Things I Hate About You. There's always the absent mum and the dad speech. Um, but um, there was the, there was the emotional dad speech from Prince Charles, but it just turned into Wills shouting at him about how mean he, and bad he was to Diana um, and how great she was and kind of really, yeah, again, fetishizing her 
um, and stuff, and basically blaming him for her death. And Prince, the actor playing Prince Charles obviously knows that it's going a bit far because he looks really kind of droopy and jowly in that scene, and you can tell he just wants to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable scene to watch. Um, and, like, it's a... It's, again, this kind of, like you said, fetishizing of the royals and fetishizing of Diana's memory. Um, and as someone who doesn't hate the royals and who doesn't love the royals, it makes a really, really awkward position to watch because these are real human beings and these are the this is the pain of real human beings after all that's just being used to score cheap plot points in a very very bad film um and yeah, yeah. so it was it's a squalid portrayal of the princess diana story that is no different really to the squalid way she was treated by the tabloid press mm, exactly exactly um and yeah so it's th- those are the takeaways i took from this film it's um a missed opportunity to tell a moderate story, um, a very creepy look at the portrayal of the royals, but inadvertently a very creepy look at the portrayal of the royals in society, um, and awful. <laughs> those those are the things awful. I took away from this. It is creepy. There are some other creepy lines as well. There's a bit where I think they're um, they're in the house this third year, and that that they're, they're, they're it's just like a domestic scene where they're just sitting there on the sofa, and she goes. He's staring at her and she goes, you're supposed to be studying. And he goes, I'm studying you. And you just think, oh, I'm going to puke. It's because that's the reptilian in him. He's studying her mannerisms so that then he can (laughs) teach the real reptilian bride how to act like Kate Middleton. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And deciding which bits of her he's going to eat first. Yes, exactly. Um, Interestingly enough, though, the person who plays Mama Middleton in this, um, she once played Princess Diana in a TV movie. So there is a royal what? pedigree in this film. Yeah. Um, she wasn't yeah. so bad. No, she was all right. I recognised her from something, but I'm not sure what. It wasn't a, a Princess Diana TV movie, but she's been in quite a lot say, of you, you Have you watched a Princess Diana TV movie? <laughs> I have not. I did not go back to watch a 1990s Princess Diana TV movie, I'm afraid. You know, as a little bit. I think I, think I checked her out on IMDb. And um, I think she was in a James Bond movie or something like that. It's like, oh yeah, that must be where I know her from. Um, oh, so yeah, she's been in. She's been in a fairly, fairly had a fairly established good career. And there's been there's a few actors in this that have had decent careers or that have gone on to do have moderately successful careers, in spite of the fact that this is the kind of movie that should destroy careers. Yeah, I mean, I don't wish that on anyone. Apart from maybe the guy who played the, the posh Jay from the Inbetweeners character, because I really hated his face. <laughs> he did look like a posh version of Jay from the Inbetweeners as well, didn't yeah. he? He had he had that face face type. Um, but there, there there was one scene that stood out above all others as a piece of cinematic history for me um, that I was laughing at for a good minute after it happened. And it's uh, it's it's Kate Middleton at her worst. She's at her lowest rung. The press is hounding her incessantly, um, and so she's she's sitting in the bath, surrounded by oh, candles, yeah. with a glass of wine, crying. And there's just this array of tabloid newspapers and magazines just around the bath. <laughs> And, uh, and it just it just made me laugh so much. They're called things like the Orb and the Weekly Telegram. Yeah. 
But yeah, if you if you were feeling low, you wouldn't take all the tabloids into the bath with you, would you? It's they they're just all like yeah, you wouldn't lie them all on the floor just so you could cry at them. It's, it's yeah, a bit it's... of yeah, very unrealistic visual forcing forcing of the thing that is bad into the sad scene. But there's one there's one other piece of trivia I'd like to bring up about this movie. Um, it's directed by a guy called Mark Rosman, um, who uh, who has had a not particularly distinguished career over the years. He's done a lot of. Oh, you don't say. And a lot of <laughs> yeah, I know that must come as a real a real shock to you. Um, he directed a, f- a few episodes of Lizzie McGuire. Um, he did um, the rom com A Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff. Um, oh, okay. And those are kind of like the high points of it. Um, But also one of the very early things that he directed, um, he started off doing horror movies. Um, So, uh, and one of the films he directed is a movie called Mutant, which became something of a movie night classic for me and a few friends at university. Um, And it's all about these people who discover... um, this weird toxic gunk that looks like custard that starts turning people into zombies. Um, and and it, we picked up a copy of this movie for 25p in a secondhand store and decided this has got to be worth 25p. And it really wasn't worth 25p, but it became so funny that it became just a, a constant source of amusement for us that me and my housemates used to watch all the time. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting seeing that the guy who created Wills, Wills and Kate the movie um, also did an atrocious 80s horror movie called Mutant. I just read on his Wikipedia page as well that in television he directed a few episodes of Even Stevens starring my favourite guy Shia LaBeouf. So there you go. He's got LaBeouf <laughs> pedigree as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I could t- spend a whole episode talking about Shia LaBeouf but weirdly I've sort of come round to him because of all his kind of eccentric weird art stuff. I feel like He's come out the other... At first, you thought he was just total dick, just, like, appropriating all kinds of weird bits of art for his own end. But I feel like he's done so much weird stuff now that he's come out the other side, and it feels like he genuinely is just trying to create cool art and to express himself. I could be I could be completely wrong, but I feel like he's come out the other side now, especially with his, like... And he's able to really laugh at himself as well, which I think is the most important quality of an artist who is creating bullshit. If they're able to laugh at themselves, then it feels like it's like it's somehow okay. But I love his like his do it meme. That's just that's just the best. I break that out way too often. <laughs> do it. Just do it. <laughs> Don't let your dreams be dreams. It's funny because he has been in the odd. He's he's been on in the odd sort of interesting movie as well. Um, so he's in the um, John Hillcote movie um, Lawless. Which is a movie that was written by there's a movie written by Nick Cave and it's all about sort of gangsters um cool. in the in the era of the Great Depression. And like it has an amazing cast, including like Tom Hardy, Guy Pierce, people like that. And it's a really bleak, uh really bleak, horrible movie, as you'd expect from the guy who directed um such, you know, feel good hits as The Road. Um When you said Guy and, there, I thought uh, you were gonna say Guy Fieri. Oh, if only. Can we get Guy Pierce in? <laughs> He's a great actor, actually. As well, into into sensations. Can we get Guy Pierce in somewhere? Because I do love Guy Pierce. He's such a good actor that I feel like he could play Guy Fieri, even though they look nothing alike. Yeah, he could. He could do it. He could play the entire cast. 
and it would go down a treat. One man show. One man show of sensations with Guy Pearce. You know, like how Simon Callow does his one man version of A Christmas Carol every year. <laughs> yes. It'd be like it'd be like that. This would be the theatre adaptation, sort of ten to twenty years down the line in the West End <laughs> at Christmas. And you're looking for like a theatre show to go to. You're going to get your grandparents some theatre tickets. Guy Pearce in Sensations, one man show. I I would totally totally watch that. Um, <laughs> Me too. It sounds amazing. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you talking about the real film, not Sensations. Oh right, yeah. It's just that Lawless is a really fascinating movie, and Sheila Booth kind of feels out of place in it, but he he kind of does the role well as just this up and coming gangster who doesn't really understand the ramifications of his actions. And never really learns to understand the ramifications of his actions as he gets people killed and people brutalised and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's an interesting movie. And he seems to be picking up interesting stuff here and there. I'm still not sure whether I like him or not. Yeah. Or whether I think he he's a bit of a tryhard, but... Yeah. It's, he's, he's walking that line. He's walking that tightrope, should we say. But he is not a man who lets his dreams be dreams. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add about Wills and Kate? No, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to add about William and Kate. I just I wrote down a couple of the really clunky lines, so maybe I should just fire those at you, and then we can be done with it. <laughs> be done with but, it forever. Um, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, um, I, I, I covered we're supposed to be studying. I'm studying you. Um, as, <laughs> uh, okay, just, just one. I'll, I'll just let you have one, and then we can finish. But it's, um. They're, they're having some kind of conversation. Um, I can't even remember how early on it is, but she says it's like it's a really classic example of the character telling the characterization um, and the plot even to someone where he, he they're like just talking about schoolwork or something. And she goes, don't sound so surprised. I'm a very bright and insightful person. <laughs> yes. Oh. Fucking hell! It's yeah. It's, Prove it then. <laughs> it's it's spectacular. Um, how yeah. well it how well yeah. it works on show don't tell. Yes. So, what is your rating scale? Go on. The big reveal. Oh, so so my rating scale is going to be um, how many tabloids surround you when you're crying with <laughs> wine in the bath, thinking about William and Kate the movie. <laughs> um. Let's see. I'm going to say, I'm going to give it a five out of 20. Yeah. Five tabloids. The Sun, five The Express. Out of 20. A couple of copies of The Daily Sport, because they've got boobs in. And yeah, maybe the, <laughs> maybe the National Enquirer. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to give William and Kate the movie three tabloids surrounding me whilst I'm crying in the bath with wine out of 20 all three of those tabloids are the daily express with headlines about princess diana oh god yeah they loved her they, they still bang on about her every chance they get they do like, yeah i guess i gave it just two more points than you because i was quite enamored with the guy who played prince charles i felt like that was a really standout performance yeah he he was the shining star of this shit show <laughs> <laughs> I, I want that alliteration is so nice that that feels like something I want on my grave. Shining star of the shit show. <laughs> <laughs> that can be arranged, Paddy. That can be arranged. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we ever watch a bad film, that's the thing as well. We need to choose the one person. That's like a rating scale as well. Who's the shining star of the shit show? <laughs> I'm, I'm game for that. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah, cool. So there it is. If you want to torture yourself, watch William and Kate the movie from 2011. It's great. Yeah, it's 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 a spectacular <laughs> event that should not be missed. Yeah. So, yeah, now that I've besmirched this podcast with that choice, it's back to you again. So what's your choice? It is. And um, I I feel as though this movie has given me such a hatred of um, of the royal family that I need to take us away to a country where they destroyed their royal family in a particularly horrible manner. Cool. Um, so... I am going to choose for us to watch um, Marie Antoinette. Oh, okay. Um, is it Kirsten Dunst? It is, yeah. Cool. I um, I really like her, and I find her very attractive, but I have not seen that film. Oh, well, there we go. It's going to be a first for us. Yeah. Well, with that, it's almost time to go to bed. We've been talking about William and Kate for longer than I ever thought that I would talk about the royals in any context. I, th- I think we've been we've been uh, talking about William and Kate possibly longer than the length of the movie and certainly longer than the time they spent writing the script for it. Well, I can see on the timer now that we're actually almost there, would you believe? The film was an hour and 35 minutes long and we've made it to an hour and 21. So, you know, we, we, we almost made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. So, um, yeah, if you want to tell us about the Royals or princess diana or wills and kate or whatever that kind of thing if you enjoy prince charles and the way he names his chickens we love to hear from you as always so drop us an email at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com uh get in touch with us on twitter at bigboysdon'tpod um bear in mind that we recorded this episode the day after the one before so in terms of any of your feedback making it into an episode it's probably now going to be a couple of episodes in the future but we will we will get to it because we love you Yes, we want your um, we want your feedback as well. So please, please let us know your thoughts. Always, and if you if you do like what we do, it'd be nice if you could leave us an iTunes review so we can get to the top of the chart, so everyone can hear about what we what we feel about William and Kate. It's important that more people get to know it, know our our views because they're so important. So leave us a review if you like it. If if you don't um, like it, fuck off. Yeah, don't leave a review if you don't like it. Just piss off, you know, banter, mate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you don't like it, the joke's on you. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah. Do do leave us do leave us some comments and reviews. Um, particularly if you feel as though this this particular episode has opened your eyes to the larger reptilians conspiracy, um, or to flat Earth theory in general. Um, you know, it, yes. we, we feel as though we're doing you all a service. Yeah, those are the most important things. Tell your friends to research flat Earth. Hashtag globe exit. all right we'll see you next time when we talk about marie antoinette bye bye